Good morning, everyone, and welcome to ASI. I get you the first morning when you're still awake. <laughs> what a blessing. My name is Vicki Griffin, and I'm the Health Ministries Director for the Michigan Conference and the Director of Lifestyle Matters. And it is a genuine thrill to be here with you this morning and to share together as we worship and turn our faces toward God. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time that we can spend together focusing upon you. We ask you to come and be our teacher, that your spirit will be present to move my heart, my lips, and the hearts of the hearers. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw a news headline this morning that really arrested my attention. Uh, it was a statement by John Bolton, former uh, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. And it was quite a stunning statement. I didn't read the whole article. But he said, the world is descending into chaos. The United States has lost its platform in the world, and as a result, anarchy is on the way. What an incredible eye-opener this morning as I read that statement. Do you feel and sense in your hearts that we are in an incredible time of transition? Transition. Raise your hand. Yes. We just sense that so much is happening. And I remember not paying too much attention to this word transition until I was pregnant with our first child. And women who had more experience than me would come to me and talk to me about this thing that was going to happen to me at birth called transition. And they would give me a dark look and they would say, you will think you're losing your mind. And I thought, that's ridiculous. This has got to be a piece of cake. It's psychological. So my husband and I bought this little instrument, this little game called Simon. Does anybody remember Simon? It's, it was a light and noise sequential game, and you follow the patterns and see how far you could go on this pattern, and it was to distract attention. And so we started out really well with Simon when labor came, until transition. Simon was thrown on the floor. Dane said, my husband Dane said, bite my knuckle. I said, get your hand out of my face. You will lose your finger. There is no teacher like experience. And as I've been reading the Bible, I came to a very significant passage in Mark chapter 10. Let's turn there quickly. Mark chapter 10 talks about an incredible time of transition in the disciples' experience. Mark chapter 10. Uh, Jesus is nearing the crisis of the cross. He's nearing this crisis. And now he's beginning to make these cryptic remarks to the disciples that they do not understand. He talks to them in Mark chapter 10 several times about how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They were astonished and greatly amazed. And then he tells them they need to forsake all or they cannot be his disciples. Well, they had forsaken all, or so they thought. He tells them that they need to take up their cross daily. He asks them, are you able to drink the cup that is going to be put to your lips? He doesn't say, are you willing? He says, are you able to drink this cup? Are you able to pay the price 
for where you want to be next to the throne of God. For the third time in this chapter, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection, and he darkly intimates that this cup of suffering is going to be placed to his followers' lips. He is now transitioning from feeding the multitudes to facing torture and death and submitting to the to the evil tormentors who are going to crucify him. Now he is walking ahead of the disciples briskly. His face is away from them. His pace is quickened. His forehead is set like a flint. His disciples have to scramble to keep up with him and to keep him in sight. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, it says, And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus walked ahead of them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them again the things that were going to happen. I really resonated with this chapter as I have gone through the experience of a major transition in my life, the loss of my ministry partner and husband, Dane. And my background, people, people will look at me and they'll say, well, sure, you know, you're health ministries director. It's easy for you to tell people what to do. You're kind of thin. You look like a librarian. Um, probably line up your paper clips same direction. It's kind of true. But the fact is, I was not raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised in an incredibly brutal, violent home. I don't have a memory of feeling safe. I started running away from home when I was five years old and got into chronic trouble. By the time I was 11, I was in major trouble, uh, all the runaway stuff, and uh, also developed a very severe eating disorder, bulimia, which I had for 20 years until the age of 31. So I ran away for good when I was 17. I ran away to Canada. Uh, I was very angry. I was, my father left home when I was young, and so I was left in a very brutal, unpredictable situation. The saving grace there for me was that I would hide out in libraries, so I always kept my grades up. So that was a real blessing. But I grew up very angry, uh, wanting justice. And my early career path reflected this vengeance against evil. Even though I was evil myself, I was raised in evil, and I did evil, and I was evil. But I still wanted justice. <clears throat> I wanted something to happen that was right and fair and just. And matter of fact, at age 15, I turned myself into juvenile hall as an incorrigible. I showed up at the jail. They did not know what to do with me. They said, you know, we're, the cops usually go looking for runaways. I showed up. I said, I am incorrigible. I want you to jail me now because I wanted the people that were hurting me to be brought to justice. And there was no justice. And that's what I wanted. So I was put in jail with a... Uh, with a gang leader. <laughs> um, it was a very interesting experience. And even though she was a lot shorter than me, she was pretty scary. I want to tell you that right now. So, justice, justice. In, in my career path, when I, when I started uh, uh, my career path, I, 
I was a social worker who did child abuse investigations. In the finance world, I repossessed cars, skip traced on bad checks, and um, collected delinquent accounts. It was a really good day if you were on my list for getting your car repossessed because I had such an abysmal sense of direction, I never could find anyone's house. So it was a good day for the repossessee. I went to law school, I was going to be a prosecuting attorney. I, I, I wound up um, getting a master's in public administration and I was going to zone the city perfectly. We were going to zone out social injustice, no Lulus, locally unaccepted land use. Well, I met my husband at La Sierra University. The only reason I went to La Sierra is because I liked the landscaping. I thought it was a roofing and air conditioning company. Seventh-day Advent, venting system, seven days a week. I had no clue. A friend of mine, a friend of mine, uh, uh, I asked a friend of mine about it. I said, they, there's this organization that has roofing or something, venting systems. They do beautiful landscaping. She said, no, no, Vicki, that is a, a university. And it's a Christian university. And I remember, like it was yesterday, saying, well, anybody that landscapes like that can't be all bad. I think I'll go there. I mean, there was no other reason. So please keep your yards, folks. Please. I was an atheist. She told me, she said, well, <clears throat> they're not too fond of atheists there. You know, they don't know what to do with people like you. So if you want to get in, tell them that the body's the temple. Fine. I didn't have a clue what that meant. But when I went into my interview, uh, the president of the university, I told him that. I said, Dr. Osmondson, I don't know too much about you people, but I really like the idea that the body's a temple. He put his arm around me and he said, I wish we had more young people like you on this campus. And I, I remember thinking, are they all this naive? I mean, this is going to be a piece of cake. Well, I met my husband there. And we found the Lord together. And it wasn't too long after our marriage that we were in ministry together. I gave my heart to God. He healed me of the bulimia. He healed me of all that evil. And my prayer was not a typical prayer. I said, God, I didn't know or care so much about the love part of this. I wanted justice. And on my knees, I made a contract with God. I said, Lord, I am going to give you all that I am. Big, big deal. Like that was a big deal. But I only want one thing in return. I want to spend my life paying the devil back for what he did to me. And he hired me. The Lord hired me. I am a hired gun for the Lord all these years. Well, I want to tell you, that I came to this religion and to this work and to this Bible and to this God because I was seeking justice. And when my husband, you know, we were avid in the Lord's work, and I still am, and I still love this God, but my experience has had to go through a change, a maturation because of the devastating loss of my husband with a deadly cancer that only affects 1,200 people a year. It shouldn't have happened. We were a ministry team. We would spend our days together planning in God's work. When our children were older, we could hardly wait for the home to be, you know, in, in a situation where we could even spend more time in God's work. And then that fatal, fatal diagnosis came. 
And I begged and pleaded and prayed. This was my husband of 32 years, 28 years in full-time ministry for God, living for God, following health principles for God. And my husband was dying, and I knew it. He was wasting away, and he would pray, Lord Jesus, one more project for thy cause as he was dying. And I was completely devastated. I was shattered. How could this happen? Was I too happy? Was I being punished for being happy and feeling safe? People would say things like that. Well, God knows what you need. I said to one of them, couldn't he have started with breaking my nose? Like, could we start there and then work out? It sent me on a journey. We can know things in our head, but we need to have them established in our hearts. And that's different. Some of you know exactly what I'm saying, don't you? You know that we can understand a theology, but when our experience is tested, the Bible says that this is a very valuable thing, although at the moment it is very painful. It drove me to the book of Job, where God moved on Moses to write this book. It was the first book written in the Bible in the land of Midian by Moses, and the Lord delivers the longest speech in all the Bible in the book of Job. And I found so much comfort and instruction as the most unbelievable, impossible, horrible experience was happening in my entire life. This was not supposed to happen. This wasn't the plan. And it didn't seem to be right. It didn't seem to make sense. And when Job's when God speaks to Job about this, you know the story of Job where God actually draws the attention of the enemy to Job. He says, have you seen my servant Job? You know the story. We don't have time to go over it this morning. How he loves God and hates evil. And Satan has an attack against Job. And then he manages to survive that, and the Lord says, have you noticed? He brings his attention to him again, like there's this great conflict being worked out in this helpless human being. The book of Job helps us to understand that in a world of sin, cause and effect patterns break down at some point. This is very hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to accept that there is, appears to be a randomness, that, that very good things can happen to really evil people, and really terrible things can happen to good people for reasons that we cannot understand. We know that God has given us many principles to live by that lessen suffering. That's my job. But would you agree with me that you can do all of those things and still get sick? Would you agree with me that that happens? It, you saw this video of India and these children who are suffering in this culture of sickness. The Lord answered Job. I love this. In verse 2 of chapter 38, he says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without wisdom? The interesting thing of Job's friends is that they were not stating untruths. They were speaking truisms to Job. 
but they were misapplied truths. They didn't fit the circumstance. They didn't fit what was going on. So the Bible says a faithful man will abound with blessings, Job, if you'll just repent. Your life will improve. And this is the argument of Job. And so the Lord comes to Job in the midst of his, of his affliction. I remember people coming to me and asking me, what did he do to get this? Or God knows what you need. Does God know what I need? God knows what everybody needs. But he also knows what the work needs. He has dark providences that we cannot understand or explain. Job's friends didn't know this. Job didn't understand this. And so God speaks to Job. And in, in Job 39 verse 9, he says, Job, you cannot even domesticate a zebra. And then he goes on as he speaks to Job. He says, Job, in Job 39, excuse me, Job 41.1, he says, go ahead, slay Leviathan. Who is Leviathan a symbol for in the Bible? Satan. Go ahead, slay Satan. If you've got the solution to this thing, you go ahead and take care of it. Job 40. I'm turning to Job 40. The Lord speaks to Job, and he says, look on everyone who is proud. Humble him. Go ahead. Bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their path. Bring them to dust. This reminds me of Psalm 72, where David has the same struggle, and he says, look, these are the righteous who are subjugated and oppressed. Look at the wicked whose mouth walks through the earth in pride. They are not afflicted like others. Their heart is as fat as grease. And he said, this was too much. I didn't want to sin against the children of this generation. But then I went to the sanctuary and I saw their end. Justice is coming. Do you believe that? What's right is coming extraordinary afflictions. The message of Job is that extraordinary afflictions are not always the punishment for extraordinary sins. Sometimes they're the path to extraordinary gifts, experiences, and yes, ministries. I know someone who was brutally assaulted and left on the road to die, stabbed multiple times, she crawled to a home at 3 o'clock in the morning, and there were some men up playing poker. They called the hospital, got an ambulance to get this woman put back together. And um, in the ambulance, she knew that if she did not forgive, she would not have the strength, the strength to survive the ordeal she decided right then and there that she would forgive. It was a decision of faith, not feeling. Horrible thing. Would you tell somebody like that, God knows what you need? Is that the response? No. God used this experience, this horrible experience, for whatever reason I do not know. This woman became a mighty warrior in the cause of God, going into the kingdom of darkness to rescue souls who have been the slaves of evil. Amen? God anointed her to a special ministry. I'm going to read a quote to you that is very special to me. Education, page 151. All who in this world 
render true service to God or man. Isn't that a wonderful thought that we can render service to God as well as man? Receive a preparatory training in the school of sorrow. The weightier the trust and the higher the service, the closer is the test and the more severe the discipline. I wrestled with this back and forth and back and forth because we produce programs. And one of the programs that we produce for, for our series is called Thank You Power. Thanking God in the midst of trials. Wow. It is a rugged step of faith. It is not based on feeling. It is a discipline and it is a spiritual virtue that is not required of those who are unbelievers. And I wrestled back and forth and back and forth and I thought of these children in India and I thought of the slavery and I thought of all these things and I was back and forth, back and forth. What do you mean? How do we understand this? And it was midnight and I said, Lord, I can't finish this PowerPoint. I have to be able to have some grasp of this because we're told in inspiration that if we understood the suffering that is in this world, it would kill us. That is what the heart of God is. The heart of God is a heart of suffering right now. And he sends his servants to the pit of hell to rescue sufferers. Like this doctor who goes in and does these surgeries and has to endure the oppression and the evil and the starvation and the poverty, he goes in as a shining light. And this is the, the, the statement that came to me at midnight. And I leaped and went into the office to find it. I knew just a few words of it. And it goes like this. It's found in Steps to Christ, page 100. There is no chapter in our experience too dark for him to read. So this battle that we have with our faith that God is not there, I mean, it didn't seem like he was in my neighborhood growing up. I couldn't even get the police to arrest me to keep me safe. But he was there. He had a plan, and it's a rescue plan. There is no chapter that he, that is too dark for him to read. There is no perplexity too difficult for, his, for him to unravel. There is no calamity that can befall the least of his children. No anxiety harass the soul. No joy, cheer, no sincere prayer escape the lips of which our Heavenly Father is unobservant or of, of which he takes no immediate interest. Look, we have the choice to be pitiful or powerful. There was a point, and I want to tell you, if you think you're going to get it together in a crisis, forget it. What you do in the light when everything's going well is what you're going to take with you into the darkness. Our habit of worship, our habit of spending time with God, our habit of prayer, our healthy lifestyle, the walks every day, the pattern of our life carried us through this evil time. Obedience to those laws gave him strength to fight, and it gave me the courage to live. And there was a time early on when I actually prayed to die. I was working on our balanced living health tracks at the time. I would work on the tracks by day and pray to die by night. I'd say, Lord, take my breath. I can't go on. This, has, this is too terrible. I cannot live without my partner. And after three weeks of this, the Lord still hadn't killed me. I was very upset about it. So one evening, 
I went to bed, and I'm working on these beautiful tracks that have scripture, and I thank God for that. I, I mean, my heart was in it, but then, you know, reality hits. You're there. Where is your, where is your confidant? And so I said, I really mean it. And then I said some things. And I was just sure I had crossed, the, like, I drew the line in the sand with the Lord. And I went to sleep fully assured in my heart that I was going to die that night. Well, to my utter amazement, I woke up the next morning. And there was a scripture on my mind so strong. And I know that it was God. It said, it was the words of David. And he said, I had almost fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The cool thing about that, I felt the hand of God on me. I felt him saying to me, I know you don't see my goodness right now. But if you will just take the baby step of believing that you will, if you will just take that step, I will do the rest. I took that step. I stopped praying to die. I decided then that I wanted power instead of pity. I decided to move forward with God's gifts. What about this trial of our faith? The Bible says that it is more precious than gold that perishes, even though now you are in heaviness from manifold temptations, from manifold trials. Our hope is in the resurrection of Christ. That's the hope that saves us. How is it that these trials are precious than gold? You've all been to dark places in your lives where you felt abandoned and perplexed. And, and what happened to this good God where things made sense, the equation worked, it seemed to fall through. Well, a cup has been put to your lips, a cup for service, a cup opening a channel of blessing to others that you have never dreamed. How can you get the gold? Well, here's something that I've learned. The sanctuary had its own shekel, didn't it? The sanctuary had its own coin. And so James tells us to count it all joy when we fall into these diverse trials. Count. Well, counting is good, and we love accounting. But too often we count our losses just in earth's ledger. So it's a loss, it's a bereavement, it's a spouse, it's a child, it's a suicide, it's an untimely death, it's a stillborn, it's a handicap, it's a betrayal, the loss of a job or property or friendships or position or whatever it is that you just cannot make sense of it. Though that's earth's ledger, but heaven has a ledger too. Did you know that? Heaven has an accounting system. And I believe that we need to learn and it is a learned thing to start counting in the currency of heaven. How many of you would like more of heaven's currency in your bank account? What is heaven's currency? Well, one of the first things that I noticed about this, I have always loved this message. I have learned more to love people as a result of this. I used to feel sorry for people. Now I feel sorry with them. I listen more. I have more compassion. Faith, love, and endurance grow. 
patience, the testing of your faith, the genuineness of your faith is tested not when you get everything when you, that you want, but when you don't get anything and none of it makes sense. Kindness. What about the power to win souls? Proverbs, I mean, excuse me, Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, we therefore, having the hope of the resurrection, therefore we glory in tribulations. That's plural. And the meaning of that is that we show His glory. How many of you want to show His glory? You know, in order to show His glory, to be honest, we have to get over the rift with God. Often we're walking around upset with Him over what has happened in our lives. Broken hopes, dashed expectations, crushed dreams, even ministry dreams, failures, setbacks, obstacles, and we get crushed. But we've got to get over the rift with God and know that He wants to use these things to, to invade Satan's kingdom and win souls for Jesus Christ. It's, it's really not easy to come to this frame of mind. It takes spiritual work to do this. We show His glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces endurance. Is that currency, heaven's currency? Endurance, character, is that currency? And character, hope, is that currency? And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. What an amazing thing. You know, we meet these people, these old saints who've been through the grinder. Have you met these people? And we think, oh, I would really like to be like that person. Do you want to go through what they've been through to be like that person? There's a price tag. And that's why when, when the disciples said, we want, we, we want to sit on your right hand and your left, he said, are you, will, are you able to drink the cup that will be put to your lips so that you can pay the price tag to sit that close? on the throne. There's a price, and it's called suffering. The Lord has special grace, Signs of the Times, 1895. The Lord has special grace for mourners, and its power is to melt hearts. What did I pray for when the Lord delivered me? I prayed for power to melt hearts to win souls. His love opens a channel into the wounded and bruised soul and becomes a healing balm to those who sorrow. The Lord Jesus is a restorer of all that was lost and identifies his interests with those of suffering humanity. He lifts up the contrite heart. He refines the mourning soul until it becomes his abode. Amen? How many of you want that kind of currency in your heavenly bank account? We have to protect this jewel of faith. Jesus spoke to Peter in Luke chapter 22, and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to do what? To sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that what? That your faith fail not. He didn't say your plan. He didn't say your ministry. He didn't say your family or your stocks or your schedule, or your team, or your health. He said your faith. Your faith is the target of Satan. And anything that pleases God greatly displeases the devil.
The Bible says that faith pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11, chapter, six, chapter 11, verse 6. Romans 3, 28. We are justified by faith. Romans 1, 7. We live by faith. Hebrews 11. We do exploits by faith. So faith is the target of the javelin of the enemy. I want to read a quote by Dane. It's one of the last quotes, one of the last things he ever wrote while he was still able. I realize now, he said, that faith is not about the outcome. Faith is about growing from trial to trial, from faith to faith, in order to be ready for the outcome that God permits. Faith is not an insurance policy against unwanted troubles. Faith is a roadmap, God's positioning system, that will lead us unfailingly to God's perfect destination for us. Faith is not given to avoid problems. Faith is given to avoid failure while enduring problems. Faith is dynamic. Where will my journey take me? That is up to God. I just want His faith that overcomes the world, His faith that develops me to meet each new trial, His faith that prepares me for the only guarantee of faith, for by grace you are saved through faith. Amen? How do we get more of this faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But how does faith grow? How does it grow? This surprised me. Volume 4 of a book called Testimonies, page 116 and 17. God would teach us where to look for help and strength in times of need. Faith grows strong in earnest conflict with doubt and fear. Faith is accepting in advance what we are only going to understand in reverse. Are you ready for that fruit of faith? Are you willing to drink that cup? We do have a choice in this battle, and it's not an easy one. We can choose whether we will become bitter or better with what life brings our way. People do several things when faced with these kinds of situations. I believe I did all of them. Focus on the trial. And no trial is pleasant for the moment, but what? Grievous, but afterwards it will yield fruit if we will just allow God to keep us during the trial. Focus on the trial. People get bitter or give up. But there is another option. That is Satan's plan when you are in a trial. And when James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, the word is, inter is really interchangeable. And that is because trials bring with them a measure of temptation. We're discouraged. We can become bitter. We don't understand. 
And the Lord tells Job, Job, I have created my creatures with a measure of understanding, but there comes a point where you have to trust my understanding, my wisdom. You have to stop trying to figure it out. And he points Job to the ostrich. He said, look, the ostrich lays an egg but doesn't have the wisdom to keep from stepping on it. So your wisdom, your understanding is only going to get you so far. Then you trust me. That's faith. There is another option that we can choose, and that is a rugged step of faith. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything, do what? Give thanks. Giving thanks is not the same as feeling thankful. It is an act of obedience. It is an act of obedience by a Christian who looks beyond the trouble to an all-powerful God. That's the amazing thing about God's dealing with Job. He did not directly answer Job's questions. He didn't answer his questions. But he did reassure Job through the longest speech in the Bible that he is in control, justice is coming, payday is coming. And that was enough and it's enough for me. Is it enough for you? Romans 8, 28, we know. The Lord uses all things to work together for His power His, and good and glory. He uses those things. They aren't good. He uses terrible things. But the Bible says in Psalm 139 that the day and the night are alike to Him. They are His tools to take back for His kingdom. Amen? Are you willing? Justice is coming. Payday is coming. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61 says, instead of your shame, you know, you didn't choose where you were born. You didn't choose who had authority over you that messed with you, that did terrible things. You didn't have authority over your environment, the environment of the womb being the first one. And after that, I mean, you are where you are. God is in the business of renewal, restoration, and recovery. He has engineered you for success because He knows that you didn't ask for the genetic hand you were dealt with all its liabilities. You didn't ask for that environment where evil people had authority over you. You didn't ask for that. But that's where you are, and that's where He finds you, and that's where He will rescue you. You were made to make it. In addition, we make stupid choices. The Bible says we're ignorantly alienated from the life of God, dead in trespasses and sins. But whether by choice, chance, or circumstance, He has a plan. And it's to prosper you and strengthen you. He will always do one of two things when you pray to Him. He will either solve your problem so that you can enjoy your day, and for me, that means a jinnate bath at the end of the day or he's going to make you bigger. Now, what stronger to meet it? Now, which option do you think is going to start happening more and more in this era of transition? Which option? What's, what's our preferred option? <laughs> it's option one. If there was a line that I could get up in and be in line to be a hothouse plant, I would be there. You know, no wind, nothing. But have you ever taken a hothouse plant and taken, put it out in weather? It's dead in two hours. So the second option I believe is going to happen more often, he will make you strong. Well, 
how do I claim those promises? You know, those children at Sandy Hook who were brutally murdered, shot, children, kindergartners. Some of their names were Faith, Joy, Hope, Micah, Isaiah, Christian names. You know that those parents taught their children the angel of the Lord and camps around about them that fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is the man that trusts in him. I went to our conference president. I said, Jay, help me to understand. And that is when the Lord filled his mouth with wisdom. And Jay, our president, told me, he said, Vicki, a cup was put to the lips of those parents. Because I told Jay, I said, I want to know how those parents are going to help their surviving siblings to have faith and trust in the promises of God, that they will not feel like thin ice. I have to understand this. You've got to help me. He said, Vicki, a cup, a cup was put to the lips of those parents, a cup of suffering. The promises are sure. They are repeatable. We can stand on them. They are a firm foundation. But if that cup is put to your lips, are you able to take it? If he puts it to your lips by fiat and his declaration, he is declaring you able. Amen? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever the loss, whatever the challenge, whatever the bereavement, how awful and terrible it is, God is putting a cup to your lips to give you power, power to win souls, power to grow strong in Him, power for amazing ministry, incredible experiences, a walk with God that is second to none. Are you willing? Justice is coming. And Isaiah 61 says, for all the shame, wherever you were born, you know, the Bible says in the commandments that he visits the sins of the third and fourth generation, them that hate me, right? It's not a curse. It's a declaration of truth. I know as an investigator that abused children tend to grow up and do what? Repeat the behavior. But Jesus says in Deuteronomy that Jesus came to show mercy to a thousand generations. He came to break the cycle of sin. Do you want to drive your car with a shattered windshield? Don't build your life on a broken foundation. He wants to give you a new one. That's what he died to do for you. And he says, what, by the way, he says, whatever you have endured because of where you were born, because of what you've had to fight, because of what you've been through, because of what you have endured, I will repay you double. That's what the verse says. Workers' compensation. Do you want payday? Payday is coming. In fact, Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 42, the Lord is getting pretty fed up with this. The Bible says, marvel not when you see violent perverting of justice. Don't even marvel when you see this. But one is coming who is greater than our adversary. He's going to set things right. Do you believe that? He says, long have I held my peace. Isaiah 42 verse 14. But now... I have held myself still. I have restrained myself. But now I will cry like a woman in travail. He is in transition. He is coming. He is fed up with evil and sin and suffering and oppression and wrong. Revelation 21 verse 4. Revelation 21 verse 4 says God will wipe away every tear. It doesn't say he's going to wash your face. That's too general. He knows everything. He knows everything. 
But he has a plan with that. He wants to give you gold. Don't leave your trial without the gold. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying, no stupid accusations when people are suffering as a result of terrible things. There will be no more pain. That means that while we're here, there will be all of those things. But payday is coming. Justice is coming. A God of love is on his way to rescue you. And you want to have your trophies with you to give to our Lord. How many of you want to be powerful instead of pitiful? Powerful instead of pitiful. Strong in the midst of trials. Looking at trials in a new way, saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with this for your kingdom? Amen? Are you willing? If you are willing, and that is your desire and your conviction now, I would like you to stand to your feet as we have closing prayer. Lord Jesus, trials are a hard thing. Grief is heavy to bear, but you have borne it all. And you have a plan and a purpose in everything that happens. And we are grateful, Father. Help us to turn our face toward you, that we may have that peaceable fruit of righteousness and power, power to win souls, power to represent you in the darkest places of earth, in the very gates of hell, snatching souls for your kingdom, for everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.